Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And we have a special guest with us today. Woohoo! It's Deacon Cheryl. Say hi, Deacon Cheryl. Good morning. Hi, Deacon Cheryl. Thank you for inviting me into the conversation. Well, Cheryl actually did the sermon this weekend, so we thought it was appropriate for uh, Cheryl to join us in our podcast as we talked about uh, the text about the Samaritan woman. Yeah, so we've, we've kind of said to Cheryl, hey, listen, why don't you preach twice a year? Once in the spring, once in the fall, you pick the text. So she goes, like, like immediately, she's like, woman at the well. I was like, great. Crap, I like that text. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much in it. Well, There's you, so much in it. You gave me the list of scriptures for the year and said, pick. <laughs> and she picked. <laughs> it, was, it was well chosen. Did you, I had to actually, I was asked to preach that text at a funeral one time. Yes. That would be interesting. Well, um, it was for a, a, a parishioner whose mother had passed. And he had, I want to say, 16 siblings, and like there were five different fathers or something. And he just went, you know. <laughs> she be the woman at the well. Yeah, he just kind of went, you know, we, we aren't going to hide it. We, we, you know, this, this, was the, this is our lives, this was her life, and we want to talk about it. So it, it, was, it was interesting to just have that kind of complete openness of we're picking a scripture that we think just really reflects our mom. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and, and that is the point of the text. Yeah. Like, like that is the point of the text. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and, and it was actually, it, it turned out to be probably one of the, I don't know if I'd say it's the best funeral sermon I've ever written, but it was, I think, one of the most grace-filled, you know, moments of, and kind of a, and so what? Because guess what? Jesus, Jesus accepted this woman, period. And so there you go. And so, so Cheryl, what was, what was your biggest struggle in, in writing this uh, sermon for this weekend? Oh, there was so much in that <laughs> passage. It was hard to narrow it down. Yes. But I think it really came to the fact that Jesus welcomes everyone, yep. regardless of the past. Yeah, and I've always loved the way in which that text is juxtaposed against the, the Nicodemus text, mm -hmm. just because it is that um, you have the, the rabbi, the leader, who, you know, is supposedly doing everything right, but he comes at night under the shroud of darkness, um, and darkness and light, of course, have major motifs and, and themes in the Gospel of John. And uh, then you get the Samaritan woman who he meets in broad daylight at noon um, at a well, which, you know, in the Bible. Shady. Well, yeah. It's all shady. Well, I, well and, and, and in the Bible, wells are uh, meeting places. They're, yep. um, they're, they're, they're the singles bar, so to speak. It's the so. singles bar, the water cooler, the... Yeah, 
Yeah. So it becomes kind of this, this you started your sermon off as scandalous. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, it is because, you know, when you think about it, this is where Moses um, basically kind of met his wife. It's where Jacob met Rachel. Um, it's even the well that Jacob met because it was Jacob's well. Um, so there's all that history tied into it. And I love how this text is like, yeah, and the disciples saw him talking to the woman at the well, and they decided just not to say anything. <laughs> Which is interesting because they, they hadn't really been with him that long. No. I mean, we're only chapter four. Yeah. I, one of the beautiful things about this text, you could go that grace and love angle. It can be an evangelism sermon. I mean, you know, she literally leaves the well, runs and tells everybody. And it can be a uh, lifting up women in Scripture. Once again, women are the ones to run off and tell the story. Uh, there's just so, there's so much, there's so many ways to go. It's such a, such a rich and deep text. Um, I, so my favorite part of your servant, Cheryl, was um, you calling Jesus a rebel. <laughs> well, he is. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and, and I feel like we say it all the time, but you have, a, you, you have a, a unique and different place in the congregation. Um, and it, it's, it's funny to me because... So Cheryl, Cheryl is, and, and I'll, I'll call this out on the podcast, Cheryl is the most amazing prayer writer, um, <laughs> writer or author of prayers that you will find. She's amazing. And she has this deeply um, caring and loving spirit that is so, so high quality giftedness when we get to, you know, visiting shut-ins and, and the sick. It, it's amazing. Her presence is amazing. So that peacefulness, calmness, that that compassionate, gracious demeanor that Cheryl exudes, when Jesus said, or when Cheryl says that Jesus is a rebel, it comes off differently than when I say it or Pastor Rebecca says it. When Cheryl says, you know, writes in her prayers things that are um, prophetic or ruffle feathers or speak to current events, um, the assumption from some of the congregation in the past had been, well, well, Pastor Chaz writing those prayers because he's, you know, he's liberal and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, actually, Cheryl writes our prayers. Cheryl writes our prayers. And you know where she pulls them from? Scripture and her faith. And so, so when Cheryl says, when Cheryl stands in front of the congregation, Jesus was a rebel. Yeah. So then here's, <laughs> here's my next question. Is Dennis a rebel? <laughs> so, Dennis is her husband. Dennis is her husband. So I literally leaned over to Christina. I said, I wonder if that means Dennis is a rebel. Here we go. No, I, 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 think, I think that was it's absolutely spot on perfect. Jesus was not supposed to talk to that woman. No. Well, for a lot of reasons. And Correct. One, one of the ones that I really loved in your sermon is... Um, you brought up the role of women in society and especially the role of women in terms of religion. Mm -hmm. um, your, your quote from the rabbi. Oh, that was, a, that was, 
earth shattering. <laughs> you could almost hear the groans in the congregation. Yes, the yes. Women. To teach the woman, the, to teach a woman the Torah was to basically to teach her obscenity. I think was the yes. gist of the quote, wasn't it? Yes. yes. That's you ridiculous. Had a whole litany. Unfortunately, um, in the 9.30 service, we had to cut some of the sermon down, and I think you had to cut a lot of that part out. Um, about how Jesus... About all the different ways Jesus elevates women. Yes. I, I think you condensed it just to Jesus elevated women in your other two sermons, but in the, the Saturday night one, you kind of went through, which would have loved to have kept that in. It's just we were... Um, running way over <laughs> and being good Lutherans, you know, when, when, when the service runs over an hour, people rebel. One hour um, and two minutes and people are restless. Yep. Yep. Makes yep. them late for lunch. Yep. Or dinner or whatever. So I think um, just, or whatever. Yeah. So Which I think, I think, so that's one of my, that's one of my frustrations, right? So so much of our world is on a schedule and on a time frame. Right. And we, we, we feel like we have to cram church into that same time frame. Yeah. Oh, it's on my calendar. It's an hour. It has to be an hour. Well, you know, there's this thing that, that I, I think it's part of the church called the Holy Spirit, right? Like, I think that's part of this, this Trinity thing, this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. And... And sometimes there, there, there's a, a, not a time frame around how the Holy Spirit's working. The Holy Spirit doesn't fit in a box. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Like, I do not, I don't really pay attention to length of sermon. Like, when I write, I just, I write, and I kind of get to my point, and then I shut up. <laughs> which is you gotta realize it's hard for which is yeah time. which is which isn't particularly easy for me um and sometimes that sometimes that you get to that quickly and sometimes you don't and this text is one of those that's really hard because there's so much you want to pack into it yeah but which is the same problem i had with with chapter three by the way it's the same problem you have with yeah. scripture uh, not always every <laughs> once in a while i get a text that i'm like yeah, there's not a whole lot here. Here's your point, and that's kind of it. <laughs> um, Every once in a while, you get one like that where you're, you're struggling to, to get, you know, more than five minutes out of it. But how, you know, we, we confine ourselves so, we confine ourselves, and we confine ourselves, we confine the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's, we have that hour. And if it's an hour and five minutes, eh, you can maybe get away with that. An hour, five minutes, and 30 seconds, and... People are, man, that was a long hour. <laughs> and in case of Saturday night, it was like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we, we, ran, we ran about right. 10 minutes. So, so that yeah. proves how gracious uh, Cheryl is. No one complained, though, and, by and, the way. Right, because that's, I mean, that's Cheryl's place in the congregation, and she's so beloved that she, preach, she can preach extra. And we do, we're like, oh, man, there you go. Bah, 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 bah. Plus, we get emails. Would you, would you shut up? Um, not plus, about it's only an occasional thing. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to, you know, the Holy Spirit things, so, you know, yep. when the Holy Spirit just keeps giving you insight, it's hard to not put yeah. that in your sermon. Ooh, so yeah. getting back to the Agreed. point of how Jesus um, elevated women that I had to cut out for the other two services, um, he talked to women and foreign women. He taught 
women students and used terminology which treated women as equal to men. He accepted women in his inner circle, and mostly women were at his crucifixion. He told male and female stories, chose the sinful outcast of a woman who was at the well to be the first evangelist, and showed his resurrected body first to a woman. And this is also the gospel um, where Mary sits at his feet. Yes, yes. And the reason that is such an interesting text, I mean, you know, we, we get all into the, oh, well, look, you know, Mary was doing the more spiritual thing, and there's Martha doing her, um, you know, her, her housework, and, you know, which is better, you know, it is... It wasn't really about that. It was about the fact, um, if you really look at that, the, again, kind of the societal issues uh, that surround the text and recognize that for Mary to sit at the foot of a rabbi made her a disciple, which meant she was learning Torah. Yes. She was learning scripture. And she was learning about those things that she was not supposed to learn about. And, you know, while, while part of Martha's angst is, you know, hey, I've got stuff to do and you're not helping me. I think part of it, too, was what are you doing that is not your place? Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that's not where you belong. And Jesus is like, no, this is exactly where she belongs. Because, yeah. oh, again, it was another barrier. Yeah. That was broken down. Yeah, it's that, that no, this, this actually is where, where she belongs. She belongs um, as a disciple because the whole point of being a disciple was eventually the disciples become rabbis themselves who then have disciples. Yep. So, I mean, that's how, you know, it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> you're, you're wanting her to sit at your feet as a disciple, which means she could one day actually be a rabbi, <laughs> do the teaching. Oh, my. <laughs> I often wonder, too, um, you know, when women were not taught by the rabbis, usually, got to thinking, how much did they really absorb of scripture? How did they get to know it? Was the husband or the father of the household, did he go home after attending synagogue and teach his family? Women hear everything. I was going to say, I, th I think it's an overheard thing. Yeah. Yeah. We so, hear everything. So, I mean, look at, look at, look at our country with the slaves. You know, the slaves weren't really taught scripture. What they were taught was not authentic to scripture. And they learned. The problem was when they got a hold of it, I, 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 by problem, I don't mean an actual problem. Right. The, um, the problem for those in power that wanted to... The problem for the correct. was they started reading things like the Exodus story and were like, hey, yeah, this is about us. Yeah. <laughs> this is a God of liberation. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they were like, oh, wait a minute. What have we done? Yeah. Wait, uh, we're going to get on up out of here. Yep. Oh. Whoops. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you overhear things and that, again, the Samaritan woman entering into a theological discussion with Jesus had to have been a little odd as well to have that kind, you know, it's like, well, 
here's what we do. And why is what we do wrong? <laughs> kind of question. Um, it's, why, it's why I still struggle with those who, who believe women aren't called to ministry. Like, I, I, I don't, it, 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 just, it baffles me. It, it baffles me that you can read the Gospels and think that. Um, and I know they don't necessarily pull that from the Gospels as much as they do from Paul, which is still ridiculous. And, and I think what baffles me more is that that debate's still raging today. Like, seriously, I mean... It's, it, you know, and it, and it does come from Paul. And one of the things I have to say about that is when you see that as, you know, and, and decide you're going to hold that up, to me, first of all, it's lazy. Because you, right. aren't, you aren't bothering to dig into what Paul is actually talking about and what the circumstances are, what the context is. It's just you're just grabbing it because it says something you think you want to hear. Well, and, and the fact that Paul actually used women in his ministry. Yeah, he, he contradicts himself all over the place where it comes to women. If you are to take those statements as actually meaning what people take them to mean. Um, but that's a different story. <laughs> obviously, the people that attend those seminaries, they're not being taught history and the, and the cultural context, because that would then negate the whole, their whole agenda. So I had an interesting discussion one time with someone who we were talking about... Um, you know, scripture and that kind of stuff. And I said, well, I, I said, it, it's, it's a piece of literature. I said, it's, you know, somebody wrote this. It's written in a particular form and style and whatever with a history and a context. And it was like this weird kind of, what do you mean it's literature? And I was like, well, you, you write it in a particular form. Well, it's not literature. It's the inherent word of God and there are no errors in it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where that, that goes, but, right. but it's, for them, they don't recognize that scripture is full of, like, types of literature that were common, you know, it's, it's got letters, it's got narratives, it's got poetry, um, it's got apocalypses, which was a, a particular genre in uh, the first century, <clears throat> and, um, so, yeah, you get, you get kind of this interesting, of people not really recognize, well, just scripture, scripture. It's like, well, no, scripture is a library full of a whole bunch of different <laughs> types of, of literature, and how you read it really, you know, impacts the way you understand it. Right. Um, and when, in, in this case, you know, it's a letter of Paul, um, Paul's writing a letter to people about something going on in their congregation. What were, what were the circumstances? Because we only get one side of this when, when we're looking at Paul's letter. I don't mean to digress too much from the Samaritan. Well, that's the way it works, though, right? Like, we talk to the congregation, and then the congregation just says, okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's how that's happened for 2,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you know, and there's always a, usually, 
you can tell whether Paul is like it's a greeting in terms of he's never had contact with this congregation before, um, or it's it's an ongoing dialogue that they've been having. Unfortunately, we don't get the whole conversation. We just get this snippet of the conversation that's going on and whatever issues he's addressing were probably addressed in another letter or they were addressed in person or something like that. So yeah, that always always becomes an interesting um, thing. But getting back to um, our text of, of the Samaritan woman. And so there is one thing I kind of want to make a clarification about. Um, we talked, you talked in your sermon about how the Samaritans are, are Jews who like intermingled and intermarried. I, I want to broaden that out and say it was Israelites. Okay. Um, Jew being a particular term that was used for the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, and the rest was kind of the northern Israelite kingdoms that I don't think ever kind of had that term utilized for them mm. until after the, um, it's after, after the Babylonian exile, that term kind of came into use. Um, you, you'll notice if you read the Old Testament, that term is never used. It, it isn't until you get to the New Testament that you start hearing um, that. And so being in Samaria, Samaria is part of that northern kingdom. You know, the, it was actually the capital of the northern kingdom for a long time. Um, and, yeah, and that whole fun schism that happened uh, very early on after uh, uh, Solomon died when his son decided he was going to, like, be a harsher taskmaster than Solomon. And so the kingdom split. You had Jeroboam up in the north who reinstituted all the high places and golden calves and all that kind of fun stuff because, you know... That just seems to be the direction everybody goes uh, when it comes to the ancient world and, and the ancient Israelites where it's like, oh, well, we're not going to worship God in the temple, so let's go get our golden calf. <laughs> and God warned them, don't be like the other nations because this is what's going to happen. <laughs> it's almost like God has like this weird wisdom thing that we should listen to. <laughs> when he says, don't do this, maybe don't do that. It's like, like a parent uh-huh. telling a kid, you know, maybe you don't want to do that, and you do it anyway. So, so the difference being, as a parent, I always preface that with, listen, don't do that. I've already screwed it up. It doesn't work out. <laughs> um. Well, you know, and, 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 and maybe, maybe there's a preface there for God, too, saying, hey, you know, these are the nations, the other nations, yep. and, and this is how they have done it, and it doesn't work. You know, it's this... this this well, it kind of goes back to Job. My perspective is bigger, is larger than yours. Yeah. Like I see, I see a universe that you don't see. Yeah. You see your world. You don't see the big picture that I see. Yeah. Your big picture smaller. And that kind of brings us back to the woman at the well. We don't see from just the little bit in scripture that describes her. We don't see the whole picture. No. Right. We don't know her background story. Do we ever? Right? No. Like, when we, when, we, when we encounter anyone, do we, do we have the whole picture? No. Rarely. But yet we're so judgmental. Yeah. yeah. Appearances. Rarely. Yep. Appearances mm -hmm. are everything. The minute somebody walks in, we take one look at them and decide whether or not we're going to be afraid of them 
um, whether we're going to welcome them, whether we think they're, quote, one of us. Um, yeah, there's that immediate, just your appearance, appearance in general immediately sparks some kind of snap judgment um, about that person. Yeah. Let's right. yeah, say you see uh, a 15-year-old girl walking down the street with a baby stroller. Immediately, you're going to think that, oh, she's an unwed mother, whereas mm -hmm. she could just be babysitting the kid next door. Or the fellow in front of you at the grocery store with every visible part of skin tattooed. Well, you may not see the most wonderful tattoo of Jesus on his chest. He may be an awesome person doing amazing things in his community, but instinctively you think he's a Harley rebel. You know? yeah. Yeah. So I was helping a woman out who um, she'd broken her foot and all this, and it was hard for her to go grocery shopping and whatever. So I did some grocery shopping for me. She gave me her snap card to do her grocery shopping. The worst. Yeah. And... Um, and, and let's face it, I, when, I normally, I, I mean, I can, I, I can slum it, but, <laughs> you know, if I'm, I'm coming after work or something like that, I usually look fairly professional and whatever, and here I am, I'm buying stuff, and I go through, and I um, swipe that snap card, and just the look the cashier gives you, and, and first looks at what you're wearing, like, you don't need that card. Why are you doing it? And I'm like, not for me, but I, 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 I don't explain it because I figure, you know what, none of their business. Um, so my question is, so when we were on internship, we had, you know, Camden, of course, was seventh grade, eighth, eighth, I don't know, junior high. And Anna was born. So we qualified for SNAP. Mm -hmm. and, or WIC, I don't know, one of the things. Maybe both. I think it was both. And... I had the same experience. You get that card out. And so for me, I don't know if it was my perception of how people looked at me or if it was real. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if it was real or imagined. Right. But there's that, but you know that there's that stigma that goes along with it. Right. Um, and you know, should, because, it will, and then you look at well, what's on the conveyor belt. And there were actually times, right. there were times, and. Did you find that shrimp for? <laughs> right. Well, there were, there were times when. I would go back to the store a second time without the snap card because I didn't want the guilt of or the judgment of we qualified for it. Like and it's not it's not like it's well just sign just sign up and everybody gets a card. I mean you have to qualify we qualified for it. Yeah, and it's not easy to qualify. No, I mean, it's, no. They, they ask a lot of, you yeah. know. What, and then you have to go back and do this. What sources of income, blah, blah, blah. what assets, what, right. you know, what possible. And then you still only wind up getting, um, you know, maybe a max of, of like $50, $60 sometimes. Yeah, I don't remember what um, it was. But, but so, so, I mean, that judgment. For a month, so, imagine, imagine the woman walking to the well every day. I mean, she was there for a reason. And likely it was because she didn't want to deal with you know, the, all the ridiculous gossip and bickering and, you know, whispers the looks. and the looks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So she didn't go. Obviously, the village people, though, probably knew Why her background MCA? a lot more than we do. But not still, they may not have known everything. And Jesus says, what does it matter? I love her anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And... Should be um, a billboard. And, and, and I always find it interesting that... You know, the difference between chapter 3 and chapter 4. 
Um, I already talked about the light dark, um, the male female. Um, but also, she doesn't have a name. That bothered me too because I, you know, I kept, I got tired of saying the woman, the so, woman. So, but I, I see the point in her not being named because she represents all of us. Yeah, I, 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 so I agree, but I love the fact that she doesn't have a name. I love it because you can't say, oh, well, that only applies to. Well, but Whatever. It, it, it makes me wonder, though, why Nicodemus is named, because I feel he's representative of particular groups as well. Oh, yeah, that's just <laughs> Or sexism. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of, of Nicodemus, um, you know, he does get a name. And well, it was a male-dominant society. Yeah. And to be fair, Nicodemus reappears. Samaritan woman, we don't ever hear from again. She kind of pops in the story, and then she's gone. But she's famous because she Jesus is. made her that first evangelist, and yep. she's there for, for everyone to read for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Kind of like the woman that anointed Jesus before his burial with all that expensive perfume. You know, she made it into scripture. Yeah. Um, lots of unnamed women in scripture. I mean, you get a few unnamed men, you know, you get like just the centurion or something like that, but... Um, women get left unnamed much more often than men do. Um, most of the men that, that he would encounter, um, a lot of them have names. Now, like I said, there are a few, like he'll heal the blind man. That's all that, ha you know, that's all you know about. He was a blind man. Um, but... Women getting names usually is a lot, it's a lot rarer. I mean, how many women can you name in scripture, especially in, even in the New Testament, um, versus the men you could name? Mary, Martha, Mary, Salome, yeah. Herodotus. I, I think you, Mary, Martha, Mary. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then as you get into further into the New Testament, you've got Priscilla and Dorcas. And Priscilla, Tabitha, Dorcas, um, and but I, but I think Paul, you, Paul has a whole list of, of yeah. women, Phoebe. But I think you have to have a, have a much deeper level of understanding of Scripture and knowledge of Scripture to get to those yeah. where I think if you ask a casual Christian. Is know, someone, a random person off the street... Na name some women in the Bible. Right. They'd go from Mary, mother of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Mary, Mary's their number one. Yeah. And, how many and men maybe, they... And maybe they'd get Mary Magdalene. Okay, so how, how many men are they naming? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus, All Matthew. the disciples. Yeah, maybe the disciples. Peter, Paul. Yeah. John. More. The other John. Judas. <laughs> Andrew. Judas, Pontius Pilate. Yeah, I, I was thinking, um, you know, G Peter. Jarius, I think, is the. I, I was thinking, <laughs> I was, so I was thinking Peter, um, Judas, Herod, John the Baptist, like as, as like the. Core. The core four you probably are going to name first, sort of thing. And well, and naming all 12 disciples like, is tricky because they're not all named the same thing in, the gospel, in each gospel, because you get, you get different disciples in different right. gospels. So, 
yeah, that always becomes fun. Like there's Thaddeus in one and it's Bartimaeus or something like that in another. I yeah. It's, yeah. But they use different languages. Yeah, but I mean, some of them are just, they're, they're completely different names. There's just no way that, you know, it's, it's a language issue. It's just they have different names. Um, and again, you know, you can get caught up in that. I, I don't particularly. Um, I, I think, again, the 12 is a symbolic number from the standpoint of, um, <clears throat> if you remember right, when Jesus starts out, he starts out with like 70-some-odd disciples that are following him around. And, you know, he sends them out, and it kind of gets whittled down to 12. So, you know, which of those 12 do we name? And Yeah. So that's an interesting you know, church growth conversation, right? Yeah. So Jesus started with a church. That's, again, it's not a church, but all the language. Started with a church of 70 and ended up with 12. Yep. But there were still followers beyond that 12. Oh, absolutely. Correct. Still yes. Correct. Around with, including Correct. some women. But the ones that he actually was like sending out to do stuff, there was there were like. Um, so he had, so the better note, he had a staff of he started with a staff of seventy, <laughs> and reduced it to a staff of twelve. Because he had he, he downsized. Yeah, because when he does that initial like sending them out, um, there's like seventy of them that he sends out. Yeah. Um, two by two. Right. And then um, when he makes the statement. Uh, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's when he loses them. That's, that's when they're done. That's when they're like, whoa, okay. But we say that every week. I know. But we understand the implication. Do we? Who's we? Yeah. Who's we? Because there, there are a lot of people who think what we do. If, if they are not raised in Christianity, think it's a really bizarre concept. Um, True. And... <laughs> If you want to know how bizarre it can get, just watch Midnight Mass, and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> because I don't want to give it away. But, but it surrounds the concept of communion and what that means and how it can go so very, very wrong. <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I mean, the reality is it is, it is, a, weird, it is a weird concept. Yeah. You know, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you shall have eternal life. Is this Twilight? Yeah, yeah. Um, this, uh, some vampire, vampire stuff. Yep, yep. And like, uh, well, even when Jesus would teach his parables, he taught them in such a way that unless you really got it, you thought they were bizarre and you would just say, yeah. I'm done with this. Because he was countercultural. Yeah. Right? It was, it's, that, it's that rebel nature of Jesus, you know, some of it where, well, no. But I think no, that's not the way society works. Yeah, but we have become, I think, just so accustomed to our own traditions that we forget that once you get outside of our our tradition, some of what we do is kind of weird to other people. You know, because we can look at things that other religions do, and we're like, that's just crazy and weird. And I'm like, well, they kind of look at us and think we're kind of crazy and weird. Um, So we were at we were at Rock the Universe this weekend, and. So the bands are, it's, it's a Universal Studios is basically a Christian concert, a bunch of stages and stuff like that. So really, really awesome event. So the people, you know, the band sings, and then, of course, they take a break and give a little, you know, testimony, sermon, whatever you want to call it, and they sing again and get a break, testimony, you know, that sort of thing. Um, 
And I said to Brittany, I said, you know, we need to do that. Like, we need to have people share their faith story. And she looked at me and said, and jokingly, she's like, that's not Lutheran. Yeah. <laughs> I said, right, it's not. But we have some people in this congregation that have really amazing and really good faith stories that go beyond, well, I grew up in the church. Yeah. Now, there are a few that that's just their faith story, but there are a lot of really, really powerful, powerful right. stories. But we don't tell them in the Lutheran church. Yeah. It's not part of, it's not part of our... It's not part of our, our, it's not part of our norm. Right. Um, and which so, well, maybe it needs to be. Which brings us back to the part of the sermon. Just tell your story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, yeah, and I agree. I think we need to start, we definitely need to start doing that more. Um, well, so and, go back to, you know, I, I go back, I go back to, you know, my, to CPE which is my chap- the chaplaincy that, that I, I think they Clinical still... Clinical pastoral education, They yes. still require that, right? Oh, I'm pretty sure they do. I think they do. Seminary... If you go, is, to, if you go to actual seminary, I think yeah, they, they yeah. require that versus like team or something like right. that. Right. So, so during chaplaincy... So we, I, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast. I've talked about it in the sermons. You know, I had reservations about whether or not I should go to seminary. You know, well, you know, I'm divorced and, you know, and, you know blah, 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 blah. And I drank a lot in college and, you know... I don't, I don't fit the mold. You know, whatever, whatever the stereotype is, maybe I don't fit that mold. And I swear way too much. Um, maybe, I don't, maybe I don't fit the mold. I shouldn't be a pastor. When I got to when I was doing my chaplaincy work, I realized that some of those things that, are, that some would view as scars or negative marks or reasons to not be a pastor or go to seminary were the, was a way into conversations for me pastoral conversations in that chaplaincy setting. You know, the, the, the kid that had, who had tried to take his own life because his wife filed for divorce. Oh, you're divorced? Can we talk about that? Absolutely. And have a half-hour conversation with someone who tried to take their own life because their wife wanted to file for divorce. I couldn't have had that authentic conversation had I not experienced that in my own life. So, I mean, God, God uses, you know, the, the, the woman at the well, you know, all the you know, perceived warts and errors and, and whatever you want to label, whatever that woman got labeled, and she was the one that went and told the community. And if, and if God loves, if Jesus loves and accepts that woman, that woman, or those people, well, maybe he accepts me too. And, and I mean, that, that's a beautiful message. It's a beautiful message, but we get caught up in... Ah, oh, she had five husbands. And the labels and... Hussy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that 15-year-old, she can't possibly be a good mother. She'd be an amazing... We don't even know if she had kids. Right. Yeah. And... Just... Yeah, like... well, it, it, again, we have no idea why this woman had five husbands. Um, and... We can draw all kinds of assumptions, and we just are never given that information. So, for a reason. Yeah, and I, do, and I agree. I think it's for a reason. I think it's because it doesn't matter from the standpoint of what does it matter why she had five husbands? No matter the reason, she was still a social outcast because of it, because any reason... 
that either her husbands would have divorced her or if they had all died. Um, so if you go back in scripture, when, so what normally happens when, when a woman's husband died, um, at least in, in the Hebrew scriptures and culture, was you then married the next, the next in, in, in line. You, you married the next son. Um, so that if you were married to the eldest son and the eldest son dies, you then married the next son. Um, and, and so that actually is what happens in the story of Judah and Tamar, is she mar- she's married to the eldest son of Judah, dies. So she marries the next son. He dies. He's got one more kid, and he's like, you are not touching him because <laughs> you are bad luck. Um, so, she w- so he withholds what was her right, um, and then, of course, you know, the, that whole story winds up where she pretends to be a prostitute, gets pregnant by, by Judah, and then, like, confronts him with it when they're ready to stone her. Um, and he realizes, oh, um, I kind of forced her into that situation to some degree because I was not going to give her my youngest son because I was afraid that she was bad luck. And it was because of her that my sons died, you know, kind of thing. And so you have, like I said, you have no idea what, what was behind that. And, you know, people going, dang, you know, she's gone through five husbands. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I'll shack up with her and help her, but no, (laughs) not legitimizing that one. Um, or she couldn't have kids or whatever. And, and there is the likelihood as well that she just, she just blew through husbands, you know, mm-hmm. and she was an Elizabeth Taylor of the, <laughs> she was the Liz Taylor of scripture. Yeah, um, but how, how, how far has society come that Liz Taylor is someone that's like lifted up in society or was? She's glorified. And I'm not saying she's a good or bad person because she had however many husbands she had, there was a lot. <laughs> but I mean, the woman at the well was at the well because she was trashed. And maybe it's a money thing. Well, well yeah. if you're rich and famous, you can... Ha- oh, yeah. I was going to say, Liz Taylor would not have been lifted up had Liz Taylor yeah. not been Liz Taylor. Right. I mean, let's... But she would have famous Liz Taylor if she were... Yeah. She was beautiful. She was... Yeah. Um, talented. Wealthy, talented. Yeah. She were Lizzie from downtown. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, very, very different um, circumstances. Different rules apply depending on your status and Correct. the amount of power you, you wield. Yeah. Very true. Um, and that, that still holds true. Oh, very much so. I think we see that at play more, more so now. I say, and maybe more so. Yeah. Um, but that's another story. And, you know, just to have, you know, all of that kind of sitting out there, these are all the different possibilities. And it doesn't really matter which one is the right one. It, it doesn't matter. Because no matter how you look at it, um, she is going to be an outcast because of that status, period, no matter what it is. If she was barren, she's an outcast because she can't have kids. Um, if she uh, ha- has been widowed five times, she's going to be an outcast because there's something, something wrong with her that she kills all her husbands off. Um, and, you know, and if she was hopping from just 
one husband to another husband just because, um, again, that is going to make her an outcast. So it doesn't matter. The, no matter what the reason is, it will make her an outcast, period. There's, there's no scenario in which she is not an outcast. Right. And what's sad, even today, is someone gets a label because of their past, and that person changes, but somehow that label sticks with you, keeps following them, and they, people just don't see because leopards the don't new really person. change their spots. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, there are millions of people out there that came well, from dubious backgrounds. Well, that, that completely discounts the power of God to transform yes. people's lives. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, so it would. To have that philosophy would say that we should, there should be no prison ministry. Right. Because those people, those people, you can't, they can't be rehabilitated. Yeah, can't they rehab. can't be anything different than what they already are. Yeah. Um, and if and you, one of the amazing things... And unfortunately, that is a lot of the way in which our society looks at it, because if you come out of prison with a felony, that will, that's, you're done. Right. In society, right. I mean, trying to get a job when you have to check mark that box yeah. is really, really tough. Yeah, yeah. Almost, almost every person who sang at that concert, their story was a path through, through, oftentimes addiction. In some cases, jail time, where they found God or realized God was there all along. Um, and that, and that, was their, that was a jump start of their faith. I mean, it happened, it happened so frequently, but we pretend that God doesn't have the power. We, we talk about it, right? Like, we, we hear it, we read it, we sing about it, but do we believe that it's actually possible? Like, do we truly believe it's possible for God to intervene in someone's life and transform them? Our human nature, I think, thinks of God having power, but it's limited by our understanding and our ability of power. We don't see that he is far greater and has far greater power to yeah. do the impossible. Well, and, and it's sometimes hard to believe in the impossible when you really want somebody to change and they never do. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, there's, there's that problem, too, where it's like, um, you know, I've, I've been praying and praying and praying for this individual to, to change, um, you know, to, to, to beat their addiction, to not be a jerk, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Um, and when that change never seems to ever happen, um, you do become, you know, it, 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 it's hard to believe that it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I can speak from experience where, you know, I, I hope beyond all kinds of hope that, you know, my, my ex-husband is able to change. You know, <laughs> that, that the, the narcissistic personality disorder that has him in its grip, it would somehow be able to be changed. And 
I had to accept that wasn't a changeable thing, at least from a human. It, it was going to take an act of God. And admittedly, I didn't have um, the faith that that act of God was going to happen um, before I was killed. <laughs> right. So um, I had to get out. But I still hold out that hope for him. I really do. I, 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 I hope that there is one day a change and, and that that heart has changed. But it's so hard to see, especially, you know, it's kind of one of those the Pharaoh story, you know. I was going to say, is that where faith without works kind of, you have to see it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like we, can, we can pray for someone and maybe you need to see a little bit of that turn or that change to be part of. I mean, let's face it, if someone is going on a rampage, at that moment, you're not going, well, maybe they'll change I'm going to stand here and watch, and God's <laughs> going to change them before that guy gets to me. Yeah, no, that's probably not. Probably not smart. Probably not going to happen. Um, but that, you know, it's one of those things where that is where I think the difficulty of faith enters in, is when we don't see the, the changes. Um, and then makes us skeptical, skeptical, unfortunately, when changes do happen. And they do happen. You know, people do turn their lives around. People do, um, you know, kind of hit that rock bottom uh, moment where they get confronted with, with everything and they're are like, oh, wow, you know. And, and their life changes. For some people, it's prison. For some people, it's you know, winding up in the hospital, um, sometimes that, you know, they just have to hit whatever that wall is. Um, and that's what, you know, eventually turns them around. Um, and we know it's possible because we can hear, we hear a lot of the stories. We hear the stories right. all the time. Right. Um, it just gets frustrating when, why isn't that happening with the person I love? On, on my I, schedule. Yeah, on my schedule, please. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Um, you know, not 20 years from now. I want it now. <laughs> well, that's with anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we are, an, uh, and let's face it, we are a um, instant gratification society. I want mm -hmm. it, and I want it now. If Amazon can't get it to me within a day or two, forget it. <laughs> what do you mean to have to wait three days? And unfortunately, so that, that having to wait does turn people away from God. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the waiting is hard. Mm -hmm. Well, you know. Patience, patience yeah. in general is hard. Well, you know, as Christians, we've been waiting a while. Yeah. 2,000 years. I'm coming soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> God's yeah. picture is bigger soon. than ours. Like, what do you mean by soon? It's been 2,000 years. I, I, you know, I always wonder what Paul... So when my kids say, Dad, what are we leaving? And I say, soon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> eh, sometime in the next 2,000 years. Very, very relative. Very, <laughs> very relative. Um, <laughs> I, I, like I said, I, I really wonder, you know, if you could, if you could bring Paul forward 2,000 years and say, hey, he, he, he hasn't come back yet, what Paul's response would be. Because Paul really thought Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. Hey, I'd like to see Paul's reaction to see women leading worship. worship. <laughs> Everything. 
I don't think Paul would have an objection. I, you know, I don't think so either. I think the, the objections he had were about particular congregations and things that were going on there. Um, I think in general, I don't think he had a, a, a huge problem with them because he talks about the women who were yeah. worked alongside him in the gospel and welcomed them as they would welcome him. I mean, right. those, are, those are the kinds of things. And he talks about, well, he talks about how a woman is supposed to dress when she gets up to address the congregation and prophesy. Um, and, you know, and that's in the same letter where he says a woman should stay silent. So it, <laughs> maybe you meant if you're not going to dress a certain way, I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it's like I said, there's some contradictory stuff. If you try to take it all at face value and don't dig into the, the context and the, the issues. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and so I wonder, too, when the Samaritan woman goes and tells all the people how ready and willing they were to listen. I mean, they had to, they eventually ran, you know. They showed up. They, they had to run and go find out. It, it was enough to make them go look, you know, because she, she does the, the, the very John thing, come and see. Um, come and see this guy who told me everything about me. And... They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's go check it out. Maybe they just wanted to know too. Wanted to know what too? Everything what, about her. Everything about her. <laughs> Come and see this guy. They're like, man, we know there's some stories there. I want to hear that. <laughs> it was like TMZ. Oh boy. <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. So anyway. It worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. She did. She she did her job. And but then then they come back and they say, okay, well we believe now because we actually met the dude, um, and not just based on what you told us. Um, but but and, her and reputation, I, I think, might have changed yeah. at that point. She might have had a little more credibility in the in the. One village. would think. One would hope. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, all right. I think we are wrapping up our time here. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. We, we appreciated you joining us for this part of um, our, our kind of delving a little deeper into the, the text after the sermon because, you know, we only get so much that we can do in our sermon. <laughs> As Cheryl found out, she's like, oh boy. <laughs> so next week, I, you know, I haven't even looked yet to see what next week's scripture uh, is. Jesus heals somebody or something. Something. There's there's some kind of healing thing that's that's going on so. next week. Um, yeah. yeah, I think you're probably. Yeah, it's one, It's a Jesus healing story back in Cana. Um, um, healing the official son. Yeah. Yes. So again, um, officials. Does he ever get named? Ah. Just an official. <laughs> So a healing story for next week, which um, as far as I'm concerned, this week was kind of a healing story too. Definitely. It's, yeah. It's a different kind of healing, but yep. definitely a healing story. So, all right. Well, thanks so much. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.